We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, the Australian legend, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Always good to upset some Heat fans, including Gabriel <laughs> Union, Nick. But uh, couldn't, unfortunately, couldn't back it up against the Pistons. But uh, two out of three ain't bad, as they say. Yeah, one and one in the last two, last time we chatted. But just as a reminder, you can listen to the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, and now airing on Dash Radio. But let's start with the Miami game, Jack. Like you said, it's always good to get a win against the Heat, 110-109 in overtime in Miami. It was great. Karis LeVert had a huge, you know, clutch moments in overtime and in the fourth quarter. Rondé came up big. Obviously, there was the talk about D'Lo being benched. But what is your thoughts about winning a game in Miami that actually meant something to the Heat and the Nets were able to kind of upset them? So hype, Nick. Just so hype. I was actually watching with my dad and my mom, and they almost had to leave the room. I was yelling so much. Um, I was I'm just, proud. I was, look, mate, I'm, I'm getting everyone on board down here. But it, 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 was, a great, it was a great performance by everyone. You mentioned a few names there, and obviously um, I, I put out on Twitter the fact that, like, you know, despite the win, I think the talk would be the whole D-Lo benching. And I, I, it, was, it was soon forgotten soon enough, but I think the performance itself was one of the best of the season. And I think that's the one that needs the most credit. Um, our defense was uh, was amazing going late. There were times when our offense was a bit lackluster, but I think we just grinded this one out. But, but Nick, where does this win rank for you across the season out of the other 25, 24? Uh, I, it's really tough to say, obviously, because, you know, every win kind of feels better right afterwards. But I think it would probably have to go top three, top five in a sense, just because the Heat needed the win. You could argue that the Heat needed this win more than any other team, even though they're already in the playoffs. Like, seeding-wise, every win matters for the East. And every other game the Nets won it, you could argue it really didn't matter that much because especially the last few wins against, like, Orlando, Memphis, those teams are trying to lose. So getting a win against a team that's actually trying to win means a lot. 
Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. That's I, I, I put it on my Twitter page again to give myself a shout at the chain and JVT. Um, that it was it was a top three win, just purely off the sense that in terms of the situation that it, that it was in, we came up against a team that was looking to solidify its playoff chances. And what again, we started off slowly. It seems to be a, a trend when it comes to our wins. We can't seem to really get the win and, and lock it away early unless it's against uh, a lesser team. We seem to grind out these sort of wins. And I think against the Miami Heat team that is incredibly well coached, um, I think other than the talk of the game with D'Lo was the talk of uh, Hassan Whiteside literally breaking Twitter with, with his comments in relation to his benching. But just to go against him, Jared Allen was probably outperforming him and he was benched. Obviously, as a rookie, he could comp- he could understand but when we went small, that was when we sort of started to to really feel it offensively and get that ball moving. And, you know, the assist numbers, 28 to 19, sort of prove that. Yeah, I think it was a great team effort. Seven guys in double digits. You know, you mentioned the team defense, 11 steals. It was nice to see the Nets get out on the break too, 19 fast break points. Like, just overall good energy. And, like, the, I felt like in the first half, the Heat kind of challenged the Nets. The Nets, in the sense, like, they were a more physical team. They were kind of bruising and kind of being tough. The Nets got to the line a lot, but they still were down. And then in the second half, I felt like the Nets responded. They had a big third quarter, and they really grinded out, like you mentioned. It was just really good to see the big performances from some of the young guys. Yeah, and we mentioned Karis LeVert. Spencer Dinwiddie, we we said about him. Were we worried about his performances going forward? You know, I mentioned the fact that I I thought he was due for a big one. Uh, And he came up big in in this game against Miami. Um, Certainly wasn't his best performance of the season, but, you know, it was just one of those performances uh, that came at the right time that we needed from Spencer. Obviously, with the absence of, of D'Lo being on the bench there, um, it was great to see him sort of uh, have that sort of statement performance and go, look, I'm still here, guys. I'm still uh, making an impact. And, you know, him alongside Karis LeVert, they were outstanding in the backcourt. Rondé was just, you know, full of so much juice. I feel like he was... He, he, he felt like he was going to get scurvy. He had so much vitamin C in him. He was that good. Um, and it was just a great performance from the team as a whole. Like you mentioned, seven players over 10 points. That's what we need. I think that's when the Nets look their best, when the, you get those team performances. Because a lot of the time, uh, and this is no slight to some of the other players, like whether it's just Spencer Dinwiddie or whether it's a D'Lo, when those guys had this sort of huge nights, whether it's like a triple-double or a, or a huge scoring performance, it sort of it takes away from the team as a whole. And, and, and in ways, we never really get the wins in, in a lot of those. Like a lot of um, D'Angelo Russell's great performances have come in losses. And that's just probably a virtue of the circumstances. Um, but at the same time, when the team is performing well, um, and because we obviously have that sort of uh, lack of talent depth, that's when we look our best. Yeah, when you're not in the ISO situations, like you mentioned, talent-wise, the Nets don't have a ton of great ISO players. In the sense, when the team's moving well, moving off ball well, creating the defense, you know, in some weird situations, it kind of helps a lot. And I thought as well it was a really nice team win because Damari Carroll only had two points. He was 1-9 from the field, 0-5 from three. Now, in the beginning of the season, it felt like the Nets couldn't get a win unless Damari was playing or had a solid game. And the fact that they won the game with Damari having such a bad game, I think says a lot about the growth of the team. It definitely does. And I, and I think that it shows, like we saw, you know, D'Angelo Russell had seven minutes, you know, Jared Allen only had 19 minutes. Damari Keller was out there for a long time, one of nine from the field, and he was still plus nine in the box score and the plus minus. So he was clearly doing some good things. But in terms of, you know, offensively, I think he was, it was just nice to have him out there and also see, you know, increased performances from guys like Spencer Dillon, Karis Levert, Joe Harris, you know, Alan Crabb uh, had his moments. It was just a, 
and, and Rondo Hollis Jefferson was in with 39 minutes. It was nice to see um, Kenny, Coach Kenny Atkinson riding the guys a little bit. I think we said that um, in previous podcasts that we wanted to see increased minutes from guys that were feeling it a bit. And Rondo certainly was, you know, 8 of 16 from the field, 20 points, 14 rebounds, including uh, one offensive one as well, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals, a couple of uh, assists. It was just one of those performances. And it was, you know, 35 minutes from Spencer Dinwiddie, 35 minutes from Karis LeVert. You know, good to see increased minutes from the guys that were giving us giving us their all and were producing. Yeah, Kenny kind of rolled with, especially in overtime. You know, getting the extra minutes for those guys and not switching it out. Who for you had a bigger game, Karis Levert or Ronde House Jefferson? They both had their moments, Nick, and I think it's got to probably come down to Karis Levert because it, at the end of the day, the ball handler is the one that sets up a lot of the play. Um, the fact that he had a near triple double. It was, in, it was insane, and he was flirting with it and coming off the bench. And, I mean, th- that can uh, obviously uh, be a bit misguided in the sense that, you know, he still had 35 minutes and he came off the bench because D'Angelo Russell had seven minutes. But his performance overall, you know, he had a block, he had a steal. He was engaged on both ends of the floor. Listening to the most recent episode of um, Dunked On where they um, reviewed the young prospects of the Nets, you know, they gave a... Um, they gave some love to Karis uh, Levert, but I don't think that they saw... Um, the real defensive upside that he has. Um, I think in terms of his length and in terms of his body, we've mentioned this numerous times that he has the capacity to be a good defender. I've also, when we were, but at the, at the other hand, um, I was also speaking to, to Nick during this game that there's times where Karras can be a little bit clumsy in the fact that he gives away dinky little fouls um, fighting through the screen. So I think it's certainly a, a balance for him going forward, but if you know you if you're going for for net sort of fandom and you're going for nets news, definitely come to the buzz and guys like Nets Daily. Don't go to uh, the blog boys as Kevin Durant would <laughs> like to call them uh, out and dunk on because as much as they have you know great analysis, I think that they can be a bit misguided because I doubt that they would have watched as much net basketball as um, as us Nets fans have. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's the toughest thing about you know covering the NBA nationally. But in a sense, I agree. I think Harris had the bigger game. He had some really big clutch moments. He had that block at the end of regulation that kind of prevented the Heat from winning. Then he also had a couple buckets in overtime. And then as well, his shot was the game winner that won the Nets a game. He's a guy I wouldn't mind seeing get the ball once in a while in late game situations or the game winning shot. Like I felt like, especially at the end of regulation, they went with Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously, he's done it before. But I wouldn't have mind seeing Karras get the get the ball for that last shot, especially because he had some really nice, you know, moves and passes that game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm, I was almost uh, very frustrated to say the least when Spencer Dimity took that shot because I could just you could just see it coming. Now it's not to say that he hasn't made that shot a few times this year, but he, he settles for it at times, and it, it's something that you know we as as net fans know he can do better with. Whereas Karras was taking the right shots, you know, 7 of 13 from the field, whereas Spencer Dimity 4 of 12 from the field, go to the guy with a hot hand. Um, and, you know, it's not that Karras Levert was lights out, but he was making the right shots. He was making the right decision. Um, Spencer Dimity also had a nice double-double himself, 12 points and 12 assists. So it's, it's not to say that he wasn't impacting the floor on, on different ends of the, um, of the box score. But, yeah, Karras was one that was feeling it. And he was making the right shots. He was making the right passes, you know, on both ends, on, on the defensive and offensive end. So... Um, maybe going forward, you know, we've seen these last couple of games, we see, you know, Coach Kenny ride Karras a little bit. You know, he's a first-round pick. He's a guy that we're looking to build around. And he's a guy that probably has probably one of the biggest upsides on this Nets roster. So uh, certainly wouldn't be surprised if we see um, some big shots from Karras in the next couple of games. 
Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if he sees a minute jump. You know, he I think he played a good amount against Detroit as well. But moving on to Rondé, you mentioned he, you know, he had a great game as well. The energy was there. He was going at James Johnson a little bit. Obviously, James Johnson kind of ate him up in the fourth quarter and had that consecutive rolling, uh, scoring run. But it's tough for Rondé out there. And he kind of fought through it, had some big buckets in the end of fourth quarter and in OT as well. So, I mean, can't complain about it. It was nice to see kind of two guys that represent Brooklyn the sense of like culture and the energy of the team and just like they have that morale to them where you can kind of see when they weren't playing the Nets had that terrible stretch in February and having them out there definitely makes a difference for the whole squad oh it's absolutely massive Nick these guys these two guys are leaders out there especially Ronda he's sort of um embraced that leadership role in yeah. the sense that he's obviously still very very young in terms of um, age you know only early 20s but the his experience with this Nets organization and you know, the growth that he's shown this year, um, I had that piece, you know, it was at the start of the year. And I, I mean, if I was to write a piece now, I'll be coming out with the dealer piece very soon. Um, just uh, summarizing his season as a whole, but do, uh, his season has been absolutely outstanding. One of the most consistent performers. And there's been a lot of, um, uh, again, comparing what the, the, the blog boy said, uh, I'm going to steal a, a Kevin Durant line. <laughs> he said that, you know, he lacked that sort of, they don't see where his fit is going forward in today's NBA. They don't get, they didn't give enough love to his passing game, which I think Rondé, as we've mentioned plenty of times, that you know he's elevated himself there. Um, they didn't mention enough his ability to get to the line. They were very just quick to just sort of just jump on the negatives and sort of had the fact that you know his defense has been less than they thought. They, they, they were very sort of tunnel vision wise with him. But Rondé, I think this game sort of played well into his hand. It, it suited his sort of style and, and his ability to sort of get down to those nitty-gritty nitty little things, you know, get hard on the boards, show that real hard sort of offensive and defensive energy. And it's sort of, he was the guy that sort of set the tone on, on both ends, um, especially uh, in the front courts. He was a, he sort of, a, a, when we went small ball, I think Rondo was a, a key part of when we sort of started to hit that run in the second and third quarters. So a huge game from him and, and Karras and, I think there's um, there's some good signs going forward for these two boys. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the versatility of Rondé is somewhat underrated in a sense. He allowed the Nets to kind of match up with the Heat in different situations where other teams might struggle with somebody like James Johnson not having a matchup for him. Even though he did have a big stretch, Rondé was able to kind of keep him quiet for a lot of the game and other, you know, power forwards and kind of threes out there. A lot of switching for the Nets. And like we've mentioned, switching for their defense could be something that could benefit them in the future. I want to be surprised if Kenny makes some switches in terms of the defense in the summertime. But sadly, we got to talk about uh, D'Lo being benched. And, you know, like you said, it kind of got swept under the rug after the game. And then they played last night and he started, played his normal minutes and stuff. What were your thoughts on him getting benched? Obviously, seven minutes, 0-5, 0-3 from uh, the three-point line, as well as two turnovers. Yeah, it, it wasn't the best start from, from D'Lo, to say the least. Um, shout out to uh, Flatbush in Atlanta. He was at the game. Uh, he posted some really good stuff, some really nice insight. You know, he showed why was D'Lo going to the bench. Um, Showed some nice photos. He was obviously right there in the action. But it was, I think it was just a, we say teaching moment. And I think a lot of Nets Twitter sort of echoed our sentiments in the fact that whatever Coach Kenny was doing, it wasn't really going to come out to us in the media. It wasn't going to be saying like, look, he was bent because he was taking bad shots and he didn't, I need to teach him a lesson. That was never going to happen. Um, it was always going to be, I'm riding the hot hand with Karras and Spencer. And I mean, to an extent, he, he kind of was, but I, I'm I'm guessing there was a lot more to it. And I, and I think, you know, for credit to D'Lo, you know, taking it on the chin, you know, he was um, still quite hyped when um, 
the boys were doing well when you know Karras was making his um that sort of that game winner so to speak so um it was just a credit to sort of the, the morale and the, and the maturity of, of Delo to sort of be able to go look I'll take this he came back um against the Pistons put in an okay performance I think it's and a lot of people are questioning Coach Kenny's decision and and his he, and the reasoning behind it. Um, I think there's a lot of D'Angelo Russell fanboys out there that probably weren't a huge fan of it. I didn't mind it. At the end of the day, we won the game, and I think a lot of a lot of fans really need to focus on the fact that a win is more important than seeing you know a triple double from D'Angelo Russell. Um, yes, he had one of his best performances of the year in the past with a couple of games. Um, but at the end of the day, we won the game and Dealer only played seven minutes. And if that's the case, then I'll take the W any day. Yeah, I mean, it's not like other young guys didn't play. It's not like they benched Elo and played some, like, 37-year-old point guard. Levert saw most of the extra minutes, and he really played well. Like you said, Dinwiddie had some nice stretches as well. And, like, uh, D'Lo got benched, and people are like, oh, Kenny's overreacting. He treats D'Lo a certain way. Usually you do treat your star players a certain way. You know, they have high hopes for D'Lo. And I think the fact that he made the same mistakes, or, you know, some things that Kenny, like, gets pissed off on, shooting too many threes, taking bad shots, turnovers, trying to force things instead of going with the flow of the offense, I think he got upset with him, and he was just like, all right, we're going to, you know, send a message to you, and we're going to bench you. You know, is that necessarily the best way to go? Should he have played in the third quarter? Maybe. But at the end of the day, like you said, the Nets got the W. He played the next game. It's not really that big a deal. Like, it's, at, it's not no, that big a deal. It's not. And you mentioned the fact that we, we both thought that he would have come back in the third quarter. The third quarter is where we won the game, 32-21. Yeah. And that's when we saw the, the biggest increase. I think if D'Lo was out there, no shade to him, um, I think that we probably wouldn't have had that, you know, uh, that increased third quarter. I think because D'Angelo would have probably had to feel himself a little bit, get himself into the groove a little bit as he likes to, uh, as all NBA players like to when they're sort of finding themselves, you know, getting the increased minutes and finding their sort of rhythm. But we won the game. Uh, and I think, you know, for, for Nets fans to be pragmatic in that sense, you know, getting the W is, is a lot more important. And I think one game in, in the space of 82, um, obviously dealers missed some because of injury. I think, you know, it, it, it'd just be nice... Um, to be a bird, a, a fly on the wall, and and hear what the conversations with with um Dilo were following the game in, in the locker room and and in the sort of scouting report and in the in the video room and all those sort of things because um, as fans we love that insight but at the end of the day sometimes we have to put two and two together and sort of make some assumptions which can be obviously a little bit misleading at times but when I think the Nets obviously like to sort of maintain a, a certain narrative a consistent narrative which is going forward. And yes, like there is truth to it, but at the same time, it's certainly not the full story. And, and I don't think we ever are going to get that full story unless you are a Nets insider or unless you are a boy with D'Angelo Russell. I think some really um, silly people were, were posting the fact that like, you know, Dilo was out and joined the Miami nightlife the night before. And I think it's it's quotes and tweets and, and opinions like that can really uh, be misleading, especially in, in an age right now where, you, know, you can post whatever you want and someone thinks that it has a validity to it. So, you know, we, we take what we have at face value and I think that's the, the important thing. Yeah, I, and to be honest, I wouldn't throw that completely out of the window that he maybe was hungover or he was out too late in Miami or something along those lines or like he just didn't come to play and he was tired and fatigued. Like there could be, you know, a hundred different reasons that we really don't know about. So it's just all assumptions at this point unless like Kenny were to come out and be like, yeah, D'Angelo tweaked his ankle in the game or something. We'd all kind of, you know, be relieved. But like like we said, it kind of got swept under the rug. He played the next game. Uh, the Nets did lose at home to Detroit, 108-96. 
And they just didn't have the juice in this game, like Kenny said. I was so happy to use the term juice. I don't know. I always use that. And he said it, no juice, 12 of 43 from three, got out rebounded 60 to 48, just not a strong performance from the team. You probably could make an assumption that they were a little bit fatigued from the overtime game in Miami, and it was a very physical game against Miami as well. Oh, here's your physical one. Uh, I really liked it as well. As soon as I saw music, I'm like, Nick's going to love this shit. <laughs> um, and I think he might, he might be listening to the buzz a little bit too much. Maybe <laughs> Drop an iTunes post on Blog Talk Radio, but yeah, uh, for a, a game where the Nets are such you know high scoring in terms of being able to get like some big thirty point quarters, you know our, our highest quarter was that first quarter, and we mentioned the fact that we might have been lacking a bit of energy. You know, it certainly wasn't showing that first quarter where we were you know certainly keeping up with them thirty three to twenty eight, but those second and third quarters, you know, twenty and twenty two point performances, you know, it's not enough to really get a W in today's NBA when you're scoring uh, so little um, on the offensive end. I think it was just one of those days where you know the Pistons had a bit of rest. They had um, a bit more talent in terms of Andre Drummond. Yes, they didn't have Blake Griffin. Um, I don't know what the hell Ish Smith was drinking. Um, <laughs> he was balling. Field. He was balling in his 17 minutes. You know, Reggie Jackson um, hurt us as well. But uh, I, I think this team was just a a little bit more, um, a little bit more well rested and had just a little bit more more talent than we did. Um, also, nice to see a guy like Stanley Johnson go well. Um, because uh, we obviously monitor his progress because we all watching him in the in the preseason. Nice sort of shooting night from him. Not necessarily the best from three, but you know a lot of these guys like you know Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow. Just a quick off track one, Nick. Would you rather have Stanley John- Johnson or Justice Winslow in a Nets uniform next year if it were to happen as a hypothetical? That's a very tough question to be honest. Uh, Stanley Johnson's really struggled from three where Winslow's had a nice season from three. He hasn't shot a ton of attempts. And also I really liked what I saw from Winslow in that game against the Nets. I've watched the Heat a little bit over the last few weeks, and I think he's starting to get some of the athleticism back. You saw a couple of big blocks defensively. He's the kind of guy I think you love to have around because he really could just annoy the shit out of somebody. And Stanley Johnson, there is some question marks. He's been in the doghouse where Winslow, like he got in the doghouse a little bit, but I think it was more so because of injury. So I think I might go with Winslow. Yeah, it's a I'll, tough I'll, one, to be honest. It is. And I, and I think in under Coach Kenny, I think both of these guys could thrive. Stanley Johnson screams one day holds Jefferson as soon as you see him. Both of these guys, you know, are very young, 22 and 21 years old. And they have uh, – some people have compared Justice Winslow to, to, to who are like Draymond Green. I don't think that he has the passing ability um, by any stretch. I think Justice Winslow has a huge defensive ceiling. And, you know, he was making a couple of three-point shots against our Nets. And I saw that. I'm like, hmm, I wouldn't mind seeing that in the black and white. And, yeah, he was, you know, he's huge on the defensive end. He would immediately come in and make an immediate defensive impact. He would be our best defender. Um, he'd have, you know, certainly uh, – in fact, if we were going, like, across a lot of the free agents this year, like, you know, uh, Jabari Parker, uh, Aaron Gordon, all these sort of guys, I'd probably have Justice Winslow at the top of that list just because of – his fit in today's you know NBA and his fit in the, in a Nets uniform would just be um, absolutely pristine. Yeah, I mean, I still think it's it's pretty close though with Stanley Johnson because I will say he's improved a little bit as a driver. Like he's gotten in the paint a little bit more, so that jump shot is kind of off because there was a few times against the Nets last night, and he's just like a strong dude. Like I've seen guys kind of go at him and be surprised how strong he is and kind of bounce back. So, like, either guy I think would be great, and Winslow wouldn't be a bad guy either, depending on how much attention he's getting in free agency as well. Yeah. So, like we said, like any type of these guys that maybe teams are kind of sleeping on or they don't really want to shell the money out, the Nets might take a chance on. Definitely. And I think the the key for the Nets is going to be that sort of stretch four. And Stanley Johnson, we mentioned, can't really hit the three. I think it would be just like having two Rondes out there. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, because one day's had a great season. But I think, you know, the, the the point that I give to Justice is the fact that he's approved that three-point shot. And if we, we would have... And it's huge. If we would have both of those guys out there on the floor, um, at least Justice has the ability to sort of space it a little bit and sort of space it in a way where it leaves some extra, you know, uh, interior presence for, for a guy like Rondé so he can pull, sort of play his mid-range game. But who knows, next season Rondé could turn into Justice Winslow in, in that fact because the, there was talks last season that Justice Winslow was, you know, um, if he never found that three-point shot, he would never find his footing in today's NBA. This year, yes, he's... Attempts, as you mentioned, Nick, haven't been astronomical, but he's nailed the shot that he needs to. So I think that's one step that Rondé could sort of take. And maybe in the fact that we might not get that big free agent sort of signing, that Rondé could sort of be the guy that we sort of need him to be. Yeah, honestly, like I've mentioned to you before and on previous episodes, I, I don't really care if they make a big you know, off-season signing. Don't go- sign a guy just to sign a guy. They've been smart in the past, and they've kind of waited. Like, they went for auto Porter. They didn't get him. They didn't go waste their money on something. They did some smart moves, and that's the same thing I kind of expect this offseason. But talking about that Detroit game real quick, getting back to that, what do you think was the issue of, with Reggie Jackson and Ishmith just dominating the Nets? Like, they're not – no offense to them. Like, Reggie Jackson's coming back from injury. Ishmith's been a bench player his whole entire career. Why do these guys kill the Nets? Is it just like lack of defense, energy, effort, or you know, there's something that Detroit kind of exposed of the Nets? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything, Nick, and it's a cop out to say that, but I think <laughs> when it's D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, uh, Karis LeVert had some huge minutes last night, so I think for him, um, that probably you know played into the fact that you know subconsciously he just w- probably wasn't didn't have the effort that he needed to against some guys that are, are capable NBA players, and I think. When it comes to experience, you know, uh, in, in today's NBA and against youngsters like the ones that we have, you know, it, it shines through. Ish Smith is, has been around the league for a long time. Reggie Jackson has been around in the league for a long time. And they're going to take advantage of the fact that, you know, D'Angelo Russell has some uh, glaring weaknesses on the defensive end. And I think, you know, obviously the, it, it probably plays with the fact that it was a, a team defense as well. These guys, you know, were just at will um, doing what they wanted in transition and, you know, making shots left, right, and center. So I think it's it's definitely not just about court's fault, but it certainly has a lot to, left a lot to be desired. The fact that, you know, they weren't necessarily engaged for, for the uh, requisite amount of time. And I think D'Lo would certainly put it on himself in, in saying that, you know, I, I think he needs to get a little bit of, uh, a little bit more aggression in, and a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder. Um, we speak about guys like Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, these guys have this sort of a aggressive, this mean side to them. I think D'Lo can at times be a little bit blasé in the way that he, he plays the game. And it's it's not necessarily in terms of anything to do with his talent. It's more a mentality. And I think mentality and, and, and how you approach the game is as important as what you actually have and can bring to the court. Because this you made the NBA. All these guys are talented. All these guys can, can hoop. But it's what you can bring... Uh, beyond that, that that sort of separates you. And I think for Dilo to sort of increase his um his his worth, I feel like he needs to sort of you know stay mentally engaged and you know sort of get that little bit of chip on his shoulder because you know there's all these people writing him off left, right, and center. We talked about um, the guys from Dunkton, but there's guys in LA that are writing him off. We I think like we coddle him a little bit too much as Nets fans um, at times because you know we want so much for him, but 
you know, he's got to go out there and sort of have that little bit of aggression and sort of go, you know, this is me. I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the game by the scruff of the neck and go bang. Um, but that's just a, a little bit of a thing that I think could certainly take his game to the next level. I think the aggressive, the you know, aggressive mentality, kind of taking advantage of being a bigger guard, which I've mentioned on this show before. Also, I feel like when I watch D'Angelo in the big games and the big moments he has, he always looks confident in attacking, you know, his defender. Where so in times where he has bad games, he's kind of like unsure and he's not really attacking. He's kind of being a little bit more passive. And you saw that a little bit last night when Reggie Jackson kind of bumped him a little bit. Like instead of going at him or trying to get back in, you know, in there, like D'Angelo kind of backed up and kind of faded away a little bit sometimes and kind of stayed in the perimeter. I think he's at his best when he's in the lane. I think upon, you know, putting on muscle, obviously he needs some work on his layup package. He needs to finish inside better, as well as I think a post game could be in his advantage when he has some of these smaller guards. If they're going to take advantage of him with their quickness, he needs to take advantage of his size. So I think there's just a few areas where D'Angelo can really improve. And like, you're you're right, Jack. I think Nets fans do coddle him a little bit, but also I think people are so easy to like write off young kids and he just needs to really develop with the Nets and they just need to try to change his mindset in a sense and his decision-making a little bit. And I think it can happen. It's not like the issues in his game can't be fixed. You know what I mean? There's plenty of ways to fix issues in his game. Things, same thing with Karis LeVert. Rondé's big question is three-point shot. Jared Allen, there's a lot of ways to improve his game. So I think there's a lot of positives in a sense. And I think Nets fans just have a lot of confidence in the staff. Yeah, and no, I certainly do as well. You know, and speaking of Jared Allen, he had a really nice night: fifteen points, six rebounds, three blocks. That dude is just. I, 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 what was the stat that you posted on Twitter in terms of was it offensive win shares, Nick? I, I believe it was win just win shares in general for rookies, and he was in the top ten. And I, I think I posted a tweet. Uh, I want to say maybe a week and a half ago, maybe a week ago, and Jared Allen was like top five in the Nets in a lot of major categories, like win shares, offensive win shares. Like he's definitely been playing great, and he kind of hit that rookie wall, and now he just kind of jumped right over it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and you know, we, we he's putting on highlight packages as well. Like yes, you know, yes, yes. The length and the dunks that he's putting on. You know, I feel like you know we've we've had a lot of talk in terms of Karras and, and D'Lo, but. You know, Jared Allen, his, his, his last sort of week or so has been, you know, he sort of smashed that Wookiee down and then some. He's certainly, um, I, I think he's probably got one of the biggest upsides. Uh, the the blog boys, the, the, the Dunton boys compared him to Clint Capella, but uh, with a little bit more uh, athleticism in that sense, but, you know, a little bit less on sort of the offensive end. I think he's Which offensive. I don't agree with, I don't think. I don't think I agree he has less than Clint Capella offensively in the sense that I've seen Jared Allen already make nice passes and he hit a step back three against Detroit. Like, I think his jump shot is going to really surprise people. I don't know if it'll happen next year, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it in two years. Yeah, and I think the jump shot and his free throw percentage and his free throw shooting in general, generally the, the free throw percentage is what dictates how you are as a jump shooter. It's It's reasons why... Um, that we sort of have a little bit of faith in a Rondé because he's pretty good from there. Um, but for Jared Allen, uh, there was, uh, before, while he was being scouted, he was said to be like, you know, that was his number one thing. He was like DeAndre Jordan from the line. He's, um, he's certainly, he's killed, his, he's killed it from there. And he's, he's sort of had the, he's proved the naysayers wrong. And, you know, that James Herbert piece that we were talking about in the last episode, it, it showed like, you know, all his, his mentality is one thing that I really like. You know, he's sort of, he goes under the radar a little bit. He does his thing. But at the same time, you can tell he has that desire to the be edge. the edge. Yeah, the desire, the edge. It's almost yeah. a Kawhi-type edge in a sense. I'm not saying he's going to be Kawhi Leonard, but the way that Kawhi kills quietly, some somewhat similar to the way Jared Allen kind of works at his game, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see that moving forward. I don't Definitely. think he'll ever be a guy that 
gets a dunk and screams. Like he just seems like, you know, he's just like, I don't, he's just level-headed. He, he is. And, and for a guy that's only, you know, 19 years old, um, it's something to, it's, it's one thing. I feel like, you know, we're seeing so many things out of him that we didn't expect. And we're probably saying the same thing about Rondé, but, you know, I feel like he, out of all the guys, the young guys on the roster, he's the one that's exceeded the expectations. Um, the most. By, the most, yeah, quite easily. And I think that's a, a real positive for to have that from your rookie. And, and it's probably not only a credit to him, but the next staff in general, because, you know, we got that, that pick again from the, from the Raptors, and it's a sort of similar range to a Karras and a, and a Jared Allen type. So I feel like if we draft well and we, we find the right guy, then, Hopefully we see the same sort of output from whoever that prospect might be. But Jared's been amazing. And, you know, we still got a couple more games to see some highlights from him. Exactly. He has been great. And you just like to see the development. And I think his fit in the NBA in terms of being such a mobile big will really help the Nets as well, where a lot of these centers are having trouble playing big minutes like Hassan Whiteside, like you mentioned, because of his lack of mobility. Obviously, Allen didn't play big minutes. But in the future, I don't think, you know, Kenny would be like, oh, I can't play Jared out against James Johnson especially if he keeps the mobility while he adds the size. So nothing but a bright future for Allen. And like you said, the Nets have, you know, they do have another late first-round pick. I wouldn't also be surprised if they'd use, you know, maybe Spencer Dimity or Carroll or Lynn to possibly move up in the draft a little bit. Lynn in the sense of being an expiring. So there's a lot of possibility. Sean Marks is a clever guy. He's very clever. And, you know, we trust the progress as uh, the Nets have sort of coined a little bit, us Nets fans. But, yeah, I, I feel like you, you, you've mentioned uh, plenty of times, and I, I'm sure, you know, if you, it, it'd be naive to think that, like, you know, the Nets aren't going to be making moves. And I feel like, you know, there isn't a guy who, who wouldn't know more than a guy like you, Nick. So definitely, <laughs> exactly. if, if there is a guy that, you know, make sure you're following him at OTG Nick, because the, the stuff that he posts, um, whether it be videos or, or Nets analysis, it's, it's top notch. Give Jack a follow as well. I appreciate that. As always, the J-Man at JBT. We'll be talking Nets, obviously, for the rest of the season as well. I'm going to start getting into draft stuff a little. And like I've mentioned in the past, you want NBA playoff talk. We have a lot of great stuff coming on otgbasketball.com, including podcasts, articles, roundtables, all types of great stuff. But thank you for listening. As always, Jack, thank you for hopping on. You can always catch a show on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.